bless you. Amen. I, I, I love it when Joe introduces me because his name is so simple <laughs> compared to Fabian. But uh, he was actually saying how much he likes saying that name. So remember what I said the last time. If you say it uh, fast enough, you might get the Holy Spirit. So Fabian Calipus, Fabian Calipus was a stop right there. But uh, it is a pleasure to be here this morning. I, I've grown to love this church over... I was just counting on my hands how many times I've been here since last September. I remember we did the uh, kickoff for school last September. It's probably a year that I had been here and then uh, covered for Pastor Spencer before he came. And let me just tell you something. The more I get to know Pastor Spencer, the more I love him. Um, I kind of connect with him in different places. And uh, it just uh, I wish I was with him right now because I saw some of the pictures of where he's at. So I'd rather be where he's at. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. So Pastor Spencer, we love you. And uh, he did text me this morning to send greetings to you. So uh, just take that from your pastor this morning. Um, I want to introduce probably the, you've heard from her, you've heard about her. I've talked, I've talked about her quite a bit, haven't I, when I've spoken a few times. And it's my pleasure to have my wife with us. Uh, Dawn, why don't you just stand so everybody can see who you are. And we, uh, We're empty nesters now, so it's kind of cool because we get to travel a little bit more together. So uh, when I told her, when I, you know, we had a 17-year-old daughter, who, well, we didn't have, but we, we had. No, she's still alive. She's, she's in Florida. We checked with her yesterday. She's at Southeastern University studying social work, and uh, she's the last of the babies to leave the nest. So um, when we found that out, I said, honey, man, you could travel a little bit more with me uh, because she always was a great homemaker, kind of making things at home. So it's good to have her with us. Can we just take a moment this morning before I start to preach? Because um, as Sister Ellen had mentioned, uh, Convoy is uh, an amazing ministry. And I recall a few years ago when Superstorm Sandy hit, uh, Convoy used Calvary as a staging center to do the work that they did over there, as well as um, Christ in Action, who came in from the Potomac District to do some work and kind of rebuild. And, and I, I just want to share with you, I've got friends down in that Houston area, uh, my counterpart, Stancil, uh, he's going to be doing youth convention in a couple of months, and the sanctuary that they're doing youth convention is a couple times bigger than this. But if you could just figure water up to the top of those pews, those are the pictures that he sent me as to where they're going to have convention. So that area has been affected. I mean, it's, uh, we have friends of ours from across the street that just moved down there and found out that their uh, house was flooded. So it is just a devastation, and it's not uh, a shore area, so a lot of the flood insurance isn't there. And this morning, there are a lot of churches that are displaced. Um, they're meeting in different places. They're meeting in shelters. And so can we pray for our brothers and sisters? Take a moment right now. Our general superintendent, Dr. Wood, has asked for this, as well as um, our general superintendent-elect, Doug Clay, has also asked us as the Assemblies of God to come together and pray this morning. So can we just stand together one more time? I'm going to ask you to do that. I'm going to be standing for about 30 minutes, so you could stand a few more moments. Um, but let's, let's just ask the Lord to be with us uh, or be with the people in Houston in that area this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that uh, we as a body of Christ can feel and can uh, come together and, and, and come into your presence and ask for those in need. And today, specifically right here, right now, as we are in New Jersey, we're praying for our brothers and sisters as well as the citizens of the greater Houston area. Lord God, that have been devastated by this, uh, this hurricane, Father. And Lord, we just pray right now, 
Lord, as they begin to rebuild, as they begin to see uh, your hand and your grace through all of this, oh God, we ask for all of the agents of compassion that are down there, Lord God, convoy of hope, Christ in action, uh, Lord Samaritan's purse, Lord others, oh Father, that are down there doing the, the humanitarian work of helping them clean up and rebuild their lives. And Father, we do pray for our sister churches who, Lord, at this moment can become lights to those around them, oh God. And so, Father, we pray that, Lord, you would just pour your spirit and your blessing upon that area, Lord God, that has been devastated by the rains and by the floods, oh God. Lord, I just remember Psalm 46 that says, though the mountains quake and though the, they tumble into the sea, there is a river who may makes glad this city of God. And Lord, we just pray for your presence to come over all of that area, Lord God, that Father, through this, oh God, they would turn their hearts towards you. Father, we thank you. We pray for those that are there, Lord God, for months to come, all the work that's going to take place. We pray this all in that matchless name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This morning, I want to, because my wife is here, I've got to behave a little bit, so I apologize um, for those of you who think that I don't behave. I do behave. But uh, this morning, I want to share uh, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and it's, um, it's, it's beautiful to see the, 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 the Lord come together. When Pastor Spencer asked me a while ago to cover for him this morning, I was praying, and then he had mentioned, hey, would you mind serving communion? And I love serving communion. One of the things as a district youth director that I miss I miss baptism services, and I miss communion. Uh, I, I do. Um, and so whenever a pastor is away on vacation and they ask me to, to, to serve communion, it's an honor. And so as I was preparing, the Lord brought to my heart one of my favorite passages of Scripture, one of my favorite stories. I love the obscure stories. I don't know if there's anybody else that's here. You know, the big stories are great. Jonah and the whale, yeah, awesome, you know. I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> David and Goliath, incredible. You know, all these little stories, all these stories are wonderful. But sometimes if we, if we read our Bible the way we should, there's some nooks and crannies of stories that are just phenomenal. And so this morning I want to read what I think is probably one of the most beautiful stories of compassion. It's undeserved mercy and the benefits of a life under the grace of God. And it's found in the Old Testament. The passage is a picture of the extravagant grace that our Heavenly Father has for us. So if you have your Bibles this morning, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. Let me set the picture as you or, or let me set the stage for you as you're looking it up. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1 through 13. Israel had never been intended to be governed by a king. Israel was always, from its inception as a nation, was always meant to have God as their king. They looked around and they saw everything that was taking place around them. They became jealous of the world and jealous of the kings around them. And they told God they wanted a king. And God said, well, if you want a king, fine, we'll get you a king. But understand, this is how that's going to happen. And so from that particular story, Saul came to be in existence as Israel's first king. Saul did not do things the way God wanted. And so Saul left or had, had, uh, had the throne taken away from him. One of the saddest part, portions of scripture that I've read is when God says to Saul, I'm sorry I made you king. And so he removes Saul out of the picture and raises David up. And we all know the story of how David came into the, the throne, how David came to become king. He was the one least expected to be king. As a matter of fact, when Jesse sent all of his sons uh, through the line, uh, Samuel said, isn't there one more? <laughs> and Jesse's like, oh, he's an afterthought. Let's go get him. 
And uh, how many know that God is the God of afterthoughts? Can somebody say amen to that? I stand in, the, in, that, in that place. And so um, w- w- there's a story that goes on in the, in the book of Samuel. You can read it, and you know the story of how Saul and David go back and forth, and Saul becomes jealous and throws spears at him, and everything takes place. And, and we come to this place in this particular story because Saul died as the Amalekites had killed him. It's interesting because God had asked him to destroy the Amalekites, and it was an Amalekite that killed him. And so Saul is dead, and as is in any regime of change, when the king is dead and the new king takes throne, the, what ends up happening in war or in historical uh, history, we see that the king Anael, uh, just takes care of the former king's home. There's nobody living from the former king. But David does something different, and David does something extravagant here, and this is where we pick up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1 through 13. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Maker, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, that's a fun name, everybody say Mephibosheth. (laughs) When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that had belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given you, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring, him in, bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant do, will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. And all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Let me repeat verse 13 again. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always, he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Lord, Add your blessing to the word. May our hearts hear what your spirit is saying to us today. Thank you for the grace that was extended on Calvary. And as we read this story, let it come alive in us and challenge us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Beautiful story. And the story will go on in just a few moments as I share and bring it to uh, light in the sense of what, what the Lord has laid on my heart today. But I want to start with the first point about meanings of names. Names have meanings. And uh, it's interesting because as I was preparing, I kind of looked up a little research on a few of your staff members, if that's okay with you, and I asked permission of the two. Well, no, I asked permission of one, and I told the other I was going to use her name. So, uh, But uh, Pastor Spencer, his name means dispenser of provision. 
So whenever you see Pastor Spencer, he lives up to his name. He's giving you provisions every Sunday morning when he's preaching the word. He's, he's, he's here ministering to you and giving you dispensing of the provisions of God. Uh, Sister Ellen means light. So how many know that Ellen brings light to any kind of a situation? She brought light to the fact that you need to give your offering today, didn't she? She did good with that. And, and, and uh, So Ellen means light. And Yvonne, this one was interesting, Pastor Yvonne. The Hebrew gift or the Hebrew word is gift of grace or gift or grace of God. And that's what it means in Hebrew. But the origin of Yvonne, this was really cool. This was the one that fascinated me the most. Some of you sitting there going, is this anything to do with your sermon? Yes, it does. Trust me, we're getting there, okay? But Yvonne comes from the French or German word, which means you would or archer. Now, the you would, what the you would was, was the wood that was used for the bow. So the bow is what's used to shoot the arrow. So Yvonne brings stability to situation. Ellen brings light, stability, and so forth and so on. And I could go on, Joe, there's, your name as well, and we could kind of go, but, but Joe, how many like the name Joe? You know, it's cool. No, no, I got Fabian. No, 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 no. We'll just leave that alone. <laughs> but it's interesting because when I talk to you about what Fabian means, you're going to sit there and cry. All right, because I, I'm that type of person that just, I, I love to, to figure things out. Now, my family, we've got some great names. Dawn, my wonderful wife of 26 years, means sunrise. <laughs> I've had the sunrise for 26 years. Oh, it's so awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah, yep. I've got to buy her lunch today, too. Um, <laughs> Matthew, my oldest, means gift of God. Uh, my middle one, Andrew, means man, warrior. And then my daughter means Michaela, who is like God. That's how, you know, those are some great names. And, you know, when I was younger, you know, I'd go to the Christian bookstore, and they'd have your name, and then they'd have the, the meaning to the name, but they never had Fabian. <laughs> I, I mean, I got, got a complex, you know. I mean, I, was, I had issues with this. I really did. I, I would say, why not Fabian? What is wrong with the name Fabian? Why would you not have Fabian there? You know your name is in trouble when they have to special order it, and it takes two weeks back in the day. All right, now you just kind of look it up on the Internet, so forth and so on. Some of you older saints know exactly what I'm talking about. You'd have to special order something, and it would take two weeks. So I go there, I go. I write my name the way I want it. Now, Fabian, let's be honest with you. Anytime I'm at Starbucks... You know what name I give? Joe. <laughs> Isn't it true? I give Joe. Or sometimes I get a little creative and go with Thor or Batman. But they kind of look at me and they laugh. But Fabian, I mean, you know, they, they P-H-A-B-I-A-N, Phoebe, Phobia, Phoebia, Fibina, you know, all those kinds of things. So, so when I went to the Christian bookstore and I paid the two extra dollars because the special names cost a little bit more, okay? Come on, you know, with, you know with me? I got really excited about it when they called me and said that my name was in. So I go to the Christian bookstore and they hand me this little certificate that says Fabian. And I'm expecting, like, oh, valiant one, or, you know, uh, man of great honor. <laughs> the name Fabian means bean farmer. <laughs> Thank you, Mom. Thank you, Dad. Really appreciate that. But, you know, bean farmer isn't as bad as Mephibosheth's name. Because when Mephibosheth went to the Christian bookstore in Scripture, his name meant shameful thing. Yeah. See, I'm glad some of you feel the same way I did. I'm glad. Yeah, okay, Fabian's not too bad, Mephibosheth. But Mephibosheth means a shameful thing. Now, imagine growing up with that name. 
Imagine going to school and realizing what your name actually meant. Now, what does that mean? We, we, we need to understand that in this story, and as we're sharing today, we have to put ourselves in Mephibosheth's place. Because prior to the grace, prior to the blood of Calvary, prior to all of that taking place, we were all very shameful. You and I had that name given to us, not by someone else, but by the nature of who we are. We are very shameful. We're individuals who don't like to be honest with one another. When you strip away God out of an individual, what do you get? You get shamefulness. So I can relate to Mephibosheth because I too, before I gave my heart to Christ, were very shameful. I hid the things that I did. I didn't bring things out in the open. And so Mephibosheth means a shameful thing. Now the second thing about Mephibosheth that I want to pull out of Scripture today is that Again, going back to the historical thing, how did this take place? Jonathan and David were best friends. Jonathan was the son of King Saul. Jonathan and David fought in wars together. They spent time together, and one day they made a vow to each other, saying, regardless of what happens, they saw it going south. They saw Saul's anger and Saul's jealousy towards David, and in the conversation, they said to one another, David said to Jonathan, if you live, look after my home. And Jonathan said to David, if you live, look after my home. And so that promise of looking after one another came to fruition as we look in in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Now, what ends up happening is once Saul is dead and Jonathan dies the same day of the war, guess what? News gets back to the house of Jonathan. And we pick that up in 2 Samuel chapter 4 verse 4 where it says, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old. We saw some of those little guys here today. He was about five years old. And the news came about Saul and Jonathan from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled. And as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth became crippled not by birth, but by falling. And in the book of Genesis, there was a great fall that took place. When Adam and Eve, who were supposed to live in communion with God on a regular basis, decided not to trust God. Let's talk about the first sin for a moment. The first sin had little to do with disobedience. The fruit of the first sin was disobedience. But if you take sin and you strip it down to its number one situation, it is a mistrust in what God has intended for you and I. When a person decides to have relationships outside of marriage, it is a mistrust that the institution of godly marriage isn't what it's supposed to be. When we look through everything in Scripture, sin can be taken back to the fact that we do not trust God, our Creator, for what He has made us for. And so in this particular passage here, God, in Genesis, because of Adam and Eve, we have been crippled. It's called our nature. Our sinful nature constantly is at work within us. You know what I'm talking about. It's the traffic jam that you kind of get behind and you want to say a few words to, to that person. Or you want, you're looking out for yourself more than you're looking out for someone else. That's the nature that doesn't belong. That's not a godly nature. God is a giving God. God gave of his son. God gave Adam and Eve everything they want. Everything they want. Can you just imagine that? You being Adam and Eve and God saying, you can eat that, 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 not that, 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 that. But by nature, what do we go to? The not that. We have everything but the not that. And you know, I'm not a gardener. Is there any gardeners in the house? 
Hello? Thank you for being honest. Appreciate it. I want to eat your tomatoes, not mine. But my wife says to me, she goes, hey, there's something growing on the side of the house. And I'm like, what do you mean there's something growing on the side of the house? She goes, yes, there's flowers on the side of the house. Remember we got this really nice, beautiful row of flowers and plants that come up. What are those things called? We don't even know what they're called. They're just beautiful. They might not even be flowers, but they're beautiful. Okay? And then there's this ugly thing in the middle. It's a weed. I know it's a weed. So she chops it down, and she goes, hey, go take care of that weed. I want it out of my garden. (laughs) And I go in, and I take this thing out. Three weeks later, the weed comes up again. I didn't plant weed seed. I got to watch the way I say that. I didn't plant that kind of seed. Some of you got that. Some of you got, thank you, thank you, thank you. But we don't plant, we don't plant the daffodil, we don't plant the, 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 the weeds within the garden. We plant nicely, we cultivate that soil. But the nature of the soil is to produce the weed, to choke out the fruit. And the nature of our life outside of Christ, when we're not taking care of our lives, is the same way. And so Mephibosheth was born because of a fall, because of that nature. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you know where you can see nature at its best or the sinful nature at its best is in the little guys? We laugh at it, but it's the sinful nature. I can recall back when my children were young and uh, I was, I forget where it was, but my wife was, uh, my wife had an appointment and she put me in charge <laughs> of the two little ones. Michaela was barely, barely sitting up. You know that stage when they're sitting up? I don't know how many months it is. I, Never mind, it's another story, another place. But, but you, know, you know when you put them down and they don't move, or if they fall over, you, you can't, you know, they're not rolling over yet, but they're just kind of sitting up. <laughs> Michaela was about that age, okay? Andrew's about three, all right, my middle one. And so I put on, she had to go, I had a meeting, so we're going to do the family swap. You know how that happens? You get home by this time, because i got to be at a meeting this time. So, so I'm over there getting dressed, I'm putting my time, I'm getting ready to go. And I, before I get ready to go, I put on VeggieTales. VeggieTales, for those of the younger generation, were the iPads before you guys had iPads. All right? So I put the video on, I put the daughter in front of the video. And, she's, and then Andrew just sitting back there eating his Cheerios. All right? Notorious for sticking the Cheerios up his nose, but he's eating Cheerios at that time. So I come down, and I hear my daughter crying. I'm like, what's wrong? And I go over, and she's on her back, just like, she's crying. Ah! You know, she's crying. Somebody had knocked her over, because they don't knock over themselves at the time. I go looking for Andrew. Andrew's nowhere to be found. The Cheerios are there. I go looking at Andrew. Andrew, where are you? Where are you? I'm here, Dad. What's wrong? I said, Andrew, what happened to Michaela? Mommy did it. <laughs> I never taught him. Veggie Tales didn't teach him to lie. It's the nature of not getting in trouble that we deal with. So we have this sinful nature. Mephibosheth had this nature. Because of the fall, he was crippled, and we're crippled by fall. The third thing out of this passage, which is phenomenal, is where Mephibosheth lived. It's not much of a home. The king asked, where is he? And Ziba answered, he is, at the, he is at the house of Maker, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. When King David called from his Phibosheth, he was in a place called Lodabar. The word Lodabar means a place of no pasture or posture. Whoa, sounds like America. Hmm, I think it does. When we look at it, it's the world. It's a place where there's no sustenance, no nourishment that we can take from the world. 
And we live in that world. We're part of that world until the king rescues us. And here in this passage, we see a, a, a place of no nourishment, nothing to sustain. It sounds like the world we live in, environment, the economy, the crime rate, morality, the racism. I could go on and on and on and on. This past Friday, I sat at the opening session or the opening ceremonies of the Burlington Township Public School System. Because of our involvement as clergy in the school, they invite us to come. And it was amazing. It's great. We have got connections with all the teachers. And this young, young 12th grader got up and sang America the Beautiful, and I wept. I wept. America the Beautiful, God shed his grace on me. Because as beautiful as I want America to be, it's an ugly place to live. As beautiful as Mount, I was at Mount Rainier. Have anybody been to Washington? Oh, Mount Rainier. Sister, I tell you, I'm going to retire there. Because every time you walk outside, there's Mount Rainier. I was in San Diego this past summer. Beautiful, beautiful. America's beautiful on the outside. But we got some ugliness inside of us. And, 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 and the environment, the economy, all these things, that, these, these things have become the norm. It, it's pretty crazy. When you sit there and you watch CNN and they interview this guy who has a furniture store who opened it up for all of the people and they sit there and go, well, hey, that's good news. But you know what? There's people all around that are like that. The only problem is we choose to shine the light on the negative. And the negative is there. The negative has got to be dealt with. But I tell you one thing. God died for, Christ died for each and every one of us. And he died in the, and he, to, to pull us out of the place that we're in. Nothing in this world can satisfy like knowing Jesus. Knowing what our purpose in life is. I love 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 17. It says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. And if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. I don't want to do the will of God. I don't want to be part of the world. When we look at, part of the, when we look at the world, those three things are there. The lust of flesh, the lust of eyes, and the pride of life. That's not trusting God. Remember what I said what sin is? Not trusting God. Any sin can be traced down to those three. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. So he lived, not only, not only did he have the name shameful thing, but he lived in a place of no posture. Two strikes against him. I'd like give it up right then and there. Like, yo, I'm done. This is it. But what ends up happening in this passage is just so amazing. Because I was shameful. I lived in a place of no posture, and a place of no pasture, a place of no nourishment. But verse 4, a surprising encounter. Oh, what a surprising encounter it was. Because any, any weather, weather fans here? Like you like watching the Weather Channel? All right, every head bowed, every eye closed. I love watching the Weather Channel, okay? Because it's exciting to see this front coming together with this front causing all of this to happen. And, 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 and what ends up happening here is you have, you have sinful, deprived, shameful Mephibosheth, righteous, godly, man after God's own heart, King David, and all of a sudden, this is just going to become one mess. Get your popcorn ready, because this is going to be a movie for the ages. And, but yet, it's our own life. The two fronts colliding. My sinfulness with the king of kings. Because here's what David does. As David says, verse 6 through 8, When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. 
David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. I love verse 7. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Let's think about it for a moment here. Shameful thing. Land of Lodabar. My grandfather and my father were part of the evil regime that you just took over. I get a knock at the door to come before your presence. I'm writing my will right now because I'm coming. He expected to find judgment when he came before David because that was the right thing to do. So when he came before David, he was trembling. That's why he said, I'm like a dog in your presence. He said, why would you look at a dead dog like me? He came to the king expecting death, but instead he found mercy and so much more. He was invited to sit at the king's place of honor. Romans 5.8 says it the best. God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We find mercy when we deserve punishment. Can somebody say amen to that? Uh, look, Isaiah 118, I just read this the other day, and I, I love it. I just kind of, when I read this passage, I just kind of, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like as crimson, they shall be like wool. Remember, he was crippled at both feet. When he sat at the table of the king, nobody could see that he was crippled. I love this table. Because outside of this, I can get down here. Are we, am I supposed to? No, I'm sorry, I did it bad. If I'm outside of this table, I'm Mephibosheth. I'm shameful. I live a life of shame, a life of sin. I, I come behind this table, and that's all covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So when I sit at the king's table, no one knows that I'm crippled. I'm redeemed. I'm bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm alive. I'm no longer shameful, but I'm glorious. I'm a king's kid at that moment. But when I'm not behind that table and I'm living my own way, then I'm shameful. Every day, Mephibosheth sat at the king's table. He came expecting death. The benefits of the king's table are amazing. I mean, come on, let's just talk about, we know food, right? Praise God for food. Lodabar, there's no food out there. There's just eating scraps. You're shameful. You're, you, Lodabar, you're scared because there's a death sentence out for you. Sin will give you a death sentence. That life of sin has you marked. And so you've got to hide. And you've got to do things in hiding so that nobody will know. You've got to live in hiding. But when the king calls you, you can come out of hiding because everything that's brought to light is covered by the blood of Christ. And that's the beauty of this story that we're reading because in the benefits of the king, if we look at these benefits, they're amazing. The psalmist writes them again. He says this in Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. Oh, my soul, bless God from head to toe. I'll bless his holy name. Oh, my soul, bless God. Don't forget a single blessing. He forgives your sins. Everyone. He heals your diseases. Everyone. He redeems you from hell. He saves your life. He crowns you with love and mercy, a paradise crown. He wraps you in goodness, beauty eternal. He renews your youth. You're always young in his presence. Can somebody say amen to that? 
The difference between David's table and the table of King Jesus is David's table hid Mephibosheth's crippleness. Jesus' table takes away our crippleness. We can walk whole, wonderful, amazing. An old story, some of you might have heard it, but I love it. There's a young man who one day met this beautiful young lady in college, and he was just in love with her, loved, loved her so much they got married. She was an art collector. He had no idea what art was, kind of like me. I'm that way. And he, he goes ahead to every art show with her, and, and you know, he just, oh, sweetie, whatever you want, whatever you want. And before he knew it, in about 25 years of marriage, he's got this huge art collection, beautiful art collection. They were only able to have one son. And their son, uh, their son was about tw- 20 years old, and mom died. So the husband, who loved his wife dearly, looked at the son and said, son, you're all I have left. But at that time, there was the military draft, and he had to go out to war. So the only thing that the father had, the only thing the father had was this particular particular love for art. His son loved art. They all worked together in art. And son's out at war. Son dies. Gets a knock at the door a few years later. And this man comes up to him and says, I finally found your address, sir. He goes, who are you? He goes, you don't know me, but I fought alongside your son in the war. He saved me. He encouraged me. He was the most amazing, amazing friend I could ever have. I just wanted to thank you for the son that you had. And he hands him this painting that's wrapped in brown paper bag. So the father looks at it and puts it to the side because he had just been so devastated by everything, didn't really want to look at it. One day he wakes up, grabs a cup of coffee after the, the guy had left, opens it, rips it up. And there is this semi-good portrait of his son that the fellow soldier had painted. The father begins to weep. And the father says, oh, my son, I haven't seen you in years, but I have you now. He goes to the fireplace mantle and takes a Monet piece of value and puts it aside and places this portrait of his son that was just done very poorly, but it was still his son. And day in and day out, he stared at this, and that gave him life to move on. The man ended up dying. There was an estate sale. And in the estate sale, there was the auction, and everybody knew that this man had collected all the art that his wife had collected throughout all the years. So people from all over town and across the state had come to see if they could buy some art from this particular place. And the auctioneer got up, and he opened up the will, and he said, the first piece that we are going to sell is the soldier right here, which was the portrait of the man's son. The bidding opened at $5. You could hear crickets in the crowd. As a matter of fact, you could hear some of the art collectors in the back saying, that's a piece of junk. We don't want it. We want the real stuff. Will somebody please give $5? Finally, a neighbor who had just happened to walk in for the sake of seeing what was going on 
for the dignity of the man and the son who he had known. Raised his hand, he says, I'll take that for $5. The auctioneer slammed his hammer, sold to the man for $5. Closed his book, walked off the platform to the dismay of everybody there. As everybody was there, they were complaining, saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? The man went back. He says, oh, I forgot to read this clause in the will. The one who gets the painting of the sun gets it all. And so that man, that neighbor, who out of spite and out of just paid $5, ends up a multimillionaire. That's what it's like with us. Because when you see the portrait of the cross, you see a weak king. When you see the portrait of the cross, you see a man who could probably do nothing for us. Nothing rich, nothing famous. But yet, when we take the sun, we get it all. And I'm so grateful for that. Because this morning, as, as we're about, amen. The benefits of his table. Not that there's healing here, but this represents healing. Not that there's salvation here, but this represents salvation. That's why I, when I take communion, I'm very serious about my communion because it's a very pensive moment for me. It's when I begin to think what God has done. And so at this table, we remember what he has done for us. But this table should also compel us. And let's just stop here because this is where the challenge is. Most of us here could relate to Mephibosheth. And if you can't relate to Mephibosheth, my prayer is that maybe before day's end, you come and you talk to one of the pastors, and we would pray for you to understand those blessings. But not only do we take the role of Mephibosheth where our crippledness is hidden, but we're also, and hear me, before we take communion, I'm going to plead with you. King David asked, is there anyone of the household of Saul that I can show favor to? And Ziba stood up and said, oh, I know where Mephibosheth is, Jonathan's son. King Jesus is asking today, is there anyone in the household of the world that we need to show favor to? Every single one of us needs to stand up and say, I know where they are. They're in Lodabar. There's some people that need to be brought to the table of the Lord, and I can take you there, Jesus. I can take you there, King Jesus. I know where they live. I can show the kindness of the king because the kindness of the king was shown to me.